friends, I can't even begin to tell you how special this book is to me. I was just sitting there thinking how that I could almost trace the entirety of my ministry, the crucial points, the highlights, all from this one book. There's just something there, it seemed like, at every stage of of our ministry where at a crucial time, some particular verse in this Bible, in this book, uh, becomes something significant in our lives. As most of you know, of course, my... You know, it used to be a popular thing to say, you know, a person has a life verse, and and mine, at least at this stage, is Philippians 1.21, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's, I think of that every single day of my life. When I first started, verse number 6 of chapter 1 was uh, a verse, one of the first verses that I had memorized as a young preacher being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. Boy, it it just, from the very get-go, seemed to me like uh, uh, that it was more than I'd ever be able to do. And I can remember whenever I resigned uh, the last church I pastored in Missouri and moved to Tennessee, uh, the, the very last message I preached there was from Philippians 1 and uh, verse number 8. I think I started there in verse number 9. And uh, and then I think of a lot of other verses that have been a big help. And I hardly know where to even begin reading this morning. Uh Paul, in writing to them, reminds them of his difficulties in verse 12. But I would that you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me, in case you don't know, a lot of bad stuff happened to Paul. Life was so extremely difficult. And he says, all of those things that happened unto me, notice, He says, happen unto me, have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. That's Romans 8.28 right there. God used all of those bad things for some good thing. And then we come down to verse number 23, and he says, I am a a straight. That is, you know, I am pressured on all sides between two different things. He said, I have a desire to depart and to be... With Christ, doesn't get any better than that, right? He said it's far better, but he said in verse 24, Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. In other words, heaven can wait. I'm willing to stay here because you need me. You need this ministry that God has raised up. And then he begins in verse number 26 that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Only let your conversation, that is your manner of life, let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, 
And whether I come to see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing, in nothing, in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. And our text this morning, the next two verses, for unto you it is given. This is going to seem like strange terminology. Unto you it is given. God's giving you a gift. He's giving you something. It is given in behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Having the same conflict which ye saw in me, and now here, to be in me. I want to speak this morning about struggling saints. And I hope the title of the message doesn't leave the impression that I'm just talking about a certain class of troubled Christians. This applies to all of us. Life is a struggle for everyone. And every time I think about the word struggle, and it's been so very vivid in my mind during the course of this last week as I thought about the message, when I think about the word struggle, I see... I see a boy dangling from a by one foot from a six to eight foot chain length fence with three strands of barbed wire uh, on the top, and uh, that boy was me. And and you probably are wondering and want an explanation of what I was doing there. So I'll explain. When I was a when I was a kid, I was a bat boy for a semi pro. Baseball team. Back then they had a league that included teams from Oklahoma, Kansas, Arkansas, several teams from Missouri, and they had formed a semi-pro baseball league. Uh, and uh, a, a lot, lot of those fellows went on to become major league baseball players. Well, I was the, the bat boy for one of the teams, and one of the perks was that I got the broken bats. Now, we didn't have aluminum bats back then. We had real uh, baseball bats made out of wood. And, uh, I mean, you know, we couldn't afford to go down and buy a new baseball bat in time we wanted it. So, as the bat boy, they would give me the bat. And uh, with those broken bats, I'd put a tack in it and then put some tape around it real good. Why, my, we could use those as kids. We'd use them to play what we called Indian ball, a certain game back then, or uh, use it in Little League. And so, uh, you know, that was a, that was a big deal. Uh, but anyway, I, I, I decided I, I, I needed a ball and because baseballs were hard to come by. I mean, you know, after we knocked the cover off of them, we taped them up. I'm talking about with the regular old kind of tape that you used back then as a bandage, and we'd tape them up and keep using them. And so uh, I wasn't the most honest kid in all of the world, so I got this idea that I'll hide a baseball, and there's a little patch of weeds over one of the telephone, the light poles there, and I would hide that ball in that patch of weeds, and then then I'd come back uh, the next day and uh, and retrieve my stolen baseball. 
that that was the plan, and you know, I I didn't have any worries about sneaking back in the park because uh, I did that on somewhat of a regular basis. I'd ride my bike down to the park. I'd climb over that fence and those last, those three strands, of course, leaning out, and I, boy, I knew how to get over that fence, and I'd get in there and in the concession stand, just a little. Old, little, not anything fancy, little wooden building, but there was a knot hole in one end. And I had learned that if you take a, a limb, a limber limb, and get it kind of real sharp on one end, I could fish it in there and keep jabbing until I got a candy bar and bring it out real easy. And uh, I was stealing candy bars. So I thought, this is... This, this this isn't going to be any problem at all. So I went down there the next day, rode my bike, climbed over the fence, went in, got the baseball. I'll never forget it. Had my jeans on, stuck it down in my pocket, and so it was resting not way down in here, but right there, and uh, started back over the fence. And some way or another, uh, from that top strand of barbed wire, when I leaped, and uh, I have no idea what happened, but. One foot didn't make it. So there I hung from that barbed wire, suspended between heaven and earth, and hoping and praying that that nobody saw me. Because I was going to have a hard time explaining, you know, how I got in a predicament like that. And uh, to make matters worse, the, the point I climbed over, there was uh, one of the poles there. And whenever I fell, that ball hit that pole on the other side. And uh, I had a big bruise and a and a big knot on my side uh, for I don't know over a week, and I mean it just hurt like everything. But anyway, there I am struggling, and I, and I've got to tell you to this day, I don't know how long I hung there. It seemed like hours. I'm sure it was just a matter of minutes, but but I didn't know how to get down, and it was almost forever before finally. Some way or another, I got out of that uh, out of that position. Now, when I think about struggling, I, that story always comes to my mind, and, and and the pain that goes along with it. Now, here's my point: your problem's not the same as my problem, and you're not, you know, hanging from three strands of barbed wire, you know, somewhere uh, by one foot. But every single person here this morning is struggling with something. If you're not, you will be. And as we face this new year, the one thing that we know beyond any doubt whatsoever is that everything's not going to be easy. There are going to be some great difficulties because, man, this born of a woman is a few days in full of trouble. So we know that we're going to face some struggles and uh, it's sometimes a very painful thing so we need to we need to we need to talk about this because it's coming the first thing that you can do to prepare yourself is to expect struggles in life did you notice what he says right here in our text there in verse 29 it is given unto you now, I want you to notice a couple of words. Verse 29, notice the word suffer. And verse number 30, notice the word conflict. That word suffer means to experience or to undergo something. 
I even looked it up in Webster's Dictionary, and it means, quote, to feel or bear what is painful, disagreeable, or distressing either to the body or mind. And so that's what is all implied by the word suffer. And it's given unto you to what? To suffer. And notice then the word conflict in verse number 30. That means to struggle. It means to fight. It means trouble. And we can all identify with that because we all have struggles of some kind or another. You can confirm that fact from the Bible. I mean, from the very beginning of it to the very end of it, we find one struggle after another. Or we can look into the history books and we see throughout the history of man there it's been one struggle after another. So we need to expect it. In fact, that's the first step in preparing for it is to expect it. Some of the best people have had some of the worst problems. In fact, I think we can safely say that nothing really great has ever been accomplished without someone suffering as a result of it. It was through difficulty that they were able to win the battle and accomplish the goal. And whenever we think about the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ, what He went through on the cross for us, how can we who are imperfect even begin to imagine escaping pain and problems in this world? And we're so many times, you know, tempted to complain. And, and the next time you're tempted to complain, you need to look back at the cross and to think about what Christ endured for you. In fact, Peter tells us that in First Peter chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, he tells us that, that we ought to expect suffering. We ought to expect it because Christ went through suffering for us, and we've no reason to complain whatsoever. Like someone said, he who deserves a hanging should not complain because he gets a spanking. And that's true. We all deserve a hanging and worse. So whatever it is that has happened to you, whatever struggle you're going through, it, it's, it's something less than what you actually deserve. And it's going to happen. So expect it. Not only that, but we need to endure it. Whenever Paul was writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 3, he says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. If we're going to be successful, we have to endure in the struggles of life. There's, there's, There's never... If there's never a conflict, there will never be a crown. If we're going to win the crown, we've got to engage in the conflict and we've got to endure the, 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 the battle. And so whenever we think about the struggles of life, we've got to understand that we're never relieved of our responsibility even if the road is rough. We've still got an obligation. That obligation is to endure. One of the one of the best aids or the best ways in order to help us to endure is to remember that our that our struggles are beneficial uh, the the we think about the butterfly and the cocoon and you know and if we could just help that little worm get out of the cocoon why it'd be better no it wouldn't it would destroy 
the insect. That butterfly needs the struggle in order to to be strengthened by it. And you and I, whether we realize it or not, you and I develop as a result of the difficulties that we encounter. We are strengthened by our struggles, and some of the greatest blessings we ever experience come out of the most painful things that we ever have to go through. And we can be so thankful that a good and wise God ordains all of the affairs of our life. That is, that He either causes or He allows everything that happens. And just knowing that He is in control and that He has some good reason for allowing this ought to encourage us knowing that it's going to be for our own good. So don't give up. Don't give in. Don't quit. And I warn you, endurance is going to take more than a firm resolve. It takes more than that. You cannot just scotch your feet and square your jaw and just determine, you know, that I'm going to do this. I mean, that's well and good, but you've got to do something besides that. If I could just sum all of that up in one little little piece of information... It would be Hebrews 12 in the first three verses where he tells us that not only are we to run the race, but we are to be looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We're to consider him. And if I wanted to enlarge upon that and do a, a, a greater study, I would look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. And I would start in chapter 3 in those last verses where it talks again about beholding the Lord and being changed from glory to glory. So what I'm saying is to endure our struggles is going to require more than just sheer determination on our part. It's going to require a close communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. There used to be a a quartet several years ago, and they were a bit strange in that they, they didn't sound like the Southern Gospel quartets that I normally listen to, but it was called the Gethsemane Quartet. I don't know if you ever heard of them or... Or not, but they had a different way of singing, and they had a song about uh, sweet communion with the Lord. In some way or another, God used that song to really speak to my heart and to help me to understand that if I was going to stay in the race, if I was going to finish the fight, if I was going to accomplish the goal, it was only going to be by keeping myself in close proximity to the Lord Jesus Christ. As Jesus said in John 15, that we must abide in Him. And that's the only way to keep going. You know, we see people all of the time drop out of church, and we oftentimes think, wow, that just happened overnight. And it didn't happen overnight. It's been a process. It's been going on a long time. As I've often said, backsliding's more like a slow leak than it is a blowout. It doesn't just happen. It happens as a result of us allowing ourselves to drift away from the Lord and to get out of fellowship with God until suddenly the collapse comes. So understand that we are to expect struggles, but we're also required to endure struggles 
But not only that, and this is going to seem rather strange perhaps to some people, we are to engage in struggles. I think about the Apostle Paul in the, toward the last days of his ministry and back in Acts chapter number 20, and he makes some remarkable statements here. And as he heads to Jerusalem, knowing that, that he's going to suffer, it says in verse number 20, He's meeting with the elders of the church at Ephesus there, and they're kneeling down out on the seashore. And in fact, they're begging him not to go because he's going to suffer. And he says in verse 20, I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks to repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. But notice verse 24, and none of these things, verse 23 says, those things are bonds, afflictions, and things of that nature. None of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Now, I want you to get the picture here because whenever, and and keep in mind, these are men of God, spirit-filled men of God, faithful men of God that are begging him not to go to, to, to Jerusalem. And they're looking at it as though, Paul, you go there, this is going to spell the end of your ministry. And Paul said, I'm going anyway. In other words, he was engaging in a struggle intentionally. Now, I said a few minutes ago that we ought to endure our struggles and understand that a lot of times these struggles come upon us that are not of our own choosing. In other words, things happen to us that we would never choose for ourselves. There are things that God allows to happen, and we're obligated to endure those difficulties. But there are other times in our life that we are to be proactive and that we are to put ourselves in a position to where we are engaging intentionally in difficulties. And that's the opposite of what most of us want to do, right? I mean, after all, most of us, we want it to be as easy as possible, not as difficult as possible. You know, we want to, we want to just go downstream, as it were. We don't want to fight against the current. And yet there are times that if we're going to do the will of God, we've got to go upstream against the current in the face of opposition, and we have to intentionally engage in things that we know from the very beginning. We know that we cannot survive the struggle unless God intervenes. But yet we intentionally put ourselves in that position because we know that's what God wants. I can remember years ago in pastoring in, in Kentucky and just, well, actually the church had been in Cincinnati. We moved across the river and 
I was pastoring the church. I was preaching revival meetings, uh, 15, 16 revival meetings a year, plus in Bible conferences and mission conferences and, and what have you. And we had a Monday night Bible institute there uh, at the church where I was teaching there every Monday night. And in addition to all of that, then one day they... Someone called the pastor over at Central Baptist and wanted me to come over there and start teaching over at the Bible College, and, and I did. And it wasn't long after that they said, "Look, we've got a we've got a daily radio broadcast, thirty-minute radio broadcast, and we want you to be the speaker on the radio broadcast." And I was stretched about as thin as a person can be stretched, and. Uh, Bless your heart, if it hadn't been for Bev, I, you know, everybody looks at the preacher like he did this and he did that, and they don't understand that it's the wife that keeps the home fires burning and the kids in school, and there's no way I could have done any of those things without her. And she was there without any complaining about it and doing the job of two or three housewives and getting my clothes ready and having them ready so when I left out of town on the next Monday that, you know, for a revival meeting that, you know, I would look presentable and thank God for that. But I thought to myself, how can I take any more on than what I'm already doing? And, and yet I felt strangely compelled by the Lord so, yeah, I'll do it. I ended up during a three-year course there, as you, some of you have heard me say before, that I averaged preaching three times a day for three years solid without a vacation in 23 years, or a vacation where we were gone on a weekend, that is. Now, I'm not saying any of that to to brag about anything that I've done whatsoever. That's not the point, and I hope you don't take it that way. But I'm telling you that sometimes if we expect God to use us to any great degree, we have to intentionally be willing to engage in suffering and struggle and hardships and difficulties. And that's one of the problems in America today We don't want to get out of our comfort zone. I mean, even though the Bible says, Jesus Himself said, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to forsake everything you have. And we think that's unreasonable. We're not willing to do that. We're looking for the easy way out. The last thing we want to do is to Accept a challenge and to, you know, and to stretch ourselves out to the limit. And yet we know as we read the biographies of God's great servants through the years, men and women, we can see that is exactly what they did. Had they stayed in their comfort zone, God would have never been able to use them to any great degree. And let me tell you something. You don't have to surrender your life to be a missionary to some foreign field somewhere or to even pastor a church for God to use you greatly. If you're a Sunday school teacher and you do it right, I'll guarantee you, you do it right and it's going to cost you something. It's going to be a struggle. It's not going to be easy. Oh, you can take a class and you can be called the teacher and you can show up every week and you can teach the lesson and what have you. But if that's all there is to it, you probably ought to just resign, get out of the way and let somebody that has their heart in it do it. 
Because when you do it right, there's going to be a struggle. There's always a cost to accomplishing something. I think back several years ago when we had a successful bus ministry. The bus ministry was successful because somebody was willing to pay the price to get out there and spend their Saturdays out there knocking on doors and visiting and getting those buses full of kids. It wouldn't have happened otherwise. Somebody says, well, boy, I'd like for God to really use me. I'll never forget when we first moved here, Joanne and Delia took one of the vans, and, 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 and they were determined they were going to start a van ministry. And they did. They were, they were bringing. In fact, there are people here today, if I'm not mistaken, that rode that van at the very beginning. Now, I'm not saying Joanne and Delia are uh, old ladies, uh, but they're not as young as they used to be. Let me put it that way, and they would admit it. And it's much more difficult for them to get around, you know, today than it was a few years ago. But I don't know about you. I just kind of have to wonder how come, how come somebody younger doesn't have that burden? Why don't they have that heart? Yeah, give, give me the keys to that. I'll fill that van up and bring it full of kids every week. We used to do that. I'm telling you, if you, listen, if you want, if you want God to use you, you not only have to endure struggles, you have to engage in them intentionally of your own volition. Put yourself right in the middle of the mess and let God use you. Now, there's one more thing that's so important, and this is what generally gets overlooked. Because some way or another we've got it in our mind that if our if life is tough enough that all of a sudden we've got an excuse to complain. I'm guilty of that. Most people are. You know, my arthritis is acting up or this or that and I don't feel good. So, oh, license to complain. And sometimes we do that when it comes to the matter of serving God. And what we forget is that the Bible expects us to actually enjoy life during the struggles. Just because life is tough doesn't mean it's terrible. Somebody says, oh, I've had a terrible life as though it, as though it was just something, you know, terrible. All because it was tough. No, it's not. It can be tough and it can be wonderful instead of terrible. Because regardless of the experiences in, in our life, we can enjoy our life. In other words, we can delight in our difficulties. That's exactly what Paul did. You know, it sounds crazy to some people, but it's not. Now, I understand the struggle itself isn't enjoyable But even in the struggle, we can rejoice in the Lord. As the psalmist said, serve the Lord with gladness. Let that sink in for a little while. Serve the Lord with gladness. Boy, a lot of folks need to make that their life verse. Because they're faithful... They're generous, they give their money, they attend the services, they're there every week, but there's no gladness. Like the old secular song says, and I shouldn't even interject something so worldly as that into this, but the thrill is gone. 
The thrill is gone with a lot of people when it comes to serving the Lord. You know, they do it because they know, well, that's my obligation. They do it because they don't want to embarrass themselves. They do it, but there's no gladness, there's no joy. We treat it like something that's terrible just because it's difficult. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, I want you to listen to what Paul says. And if you, if you could really understand what that man went through, this would be even more amazing. And he said in verse number 9, And he said unto me, that is God speaking to Paul, My grace is sufficient for thee. Even if you put yourself in the struggle or you find yourself in the struggle that's not of your own choosing, however you got there, it might not be your fault, but it's your problem. You're in the struggle. And notice, the Lord said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now get this. Most gladly, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. When I'm weak, then am I strong. Paul tells us that there can be a blessing in weakness. You see, the world gets it backward. The world says, blessed are the strong, blessed are the self-assured. The Bible says, blessed are the meek and the weak. And that's what Paul is saying. I take pleasure in being subjected to this kind of a lifestyle. And we need to learn to enjoy life even during the struggles of life. Well, you know, if the joy of the Lord is your strength, and the Bible says it is, then this is not a small matter. This is something you, you can't just say, you know, take or leave. To have the idea, well, you know, it would really be wonderful if I could enjoy myself, but, but I just can't. It's just too much for me. Well, you know, that'll, that'll be like a red light. I mean, there's a, or a caution light or something that, that it'll be a warning to you that something is wrong when you are drained of your joy and serving God becomes a burden instead of a blessing. It's because something has gone awry in your life. It's not always going to be easy. I know you've probably heard the story, read it for yourself many times before, but, uh, the story behind the old song, It Is Well With My Soul, and Horatius Stafford, whenever he wrote that, he was a man living on the north side of Chicago. This is about 1860. Everything was going good. Had four girls, one boy, and a wife that loved him. Successful business. And about that time, his little boy died of scarlet fever. 
Well, if that wasn't enough of a blow, shortly after that was the great Chicago fire. He lost all of his business. I, I mean, financially, you know, they are at rock bottom. And, and so they, they decide that they will uh, take, a, take a trip to, to Europe. About the time they decided to take a trip to Europe, there was an emergency that came up and he couldn't go. So he sends his wife and his four girls ahead. En route, the ship is struck by an iron ship and sinks. And as, as a result of it, his four girls were drowned at sea. The wife survived, and she sent, whenever they got to shore, she sent a message, said, Saved alone, what shall I do? Wanting to be at his wife's side, he scheduled a a ship to take him across to her. And uh, whenever they got close to the place where the ship had sunk, the captain of the ship informed him that this is the place where your four daughters drowned. And it was there, out over the Atlantic, that Horatius Spafford wrote that song, It Is Well With My Soul. When it seemed like his world was falling apart, when it seemed like, you know, that he was grieved to be beyond belief and that it was just more than a man could bear, because of his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, he could say, It is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, the Lord has taught me to say, it is well, it's well with my soul. Look, don't, don't fear the struggles that are thrust upon you. And don't be afraid to engage in the struggles that, that you have to go through in order to serve God. He that begun a good work in you, Paul said, he'll finish it. If he started it, he'll finish it. And whatever struggle you face during the course of this next year, I hope you'll remember the things we've talked about here this morning. You have an obligation to endure those things, whether they're pleasant or not. And not only an obligation to endure, but even to engage in difficulties and in the middle of all of that, to serve the Lord with gladness. Whatever you do, don't let the devil steal the joy of your salvation because that's where your strength is. That's why I love to see Daniel sing and Brother Hamlin and, and not just them. I can look out there and, and, and by the way, you, uh, you, I mean, you don't, you don't have to do exactly what they did in order to demonstrate your gladness. I, I can look at Rick Morrison. I've never heard him shout or get up and wave his hands or anything, but I can tell if he's in the service or not. You, you, am I making sense? I, I, I'm telling you, whenever, when we lose that joy, we've lost our strength, and, 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 and it's, it's a hard road after that. And it even gets to the point it's impossible to endure. As David said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And then I'll teach sinners 
Amen. In other words, then I'll have an effective ministry to others whenever I've regained the joy of my salvation. Well, I don't know what kind of a struggle you might be faced. It could be that, like Nellie, that you'll get the doctor's report. You have stage 2 lymphoma or whatever it is. It might be heart disease. It might be that your wife or your husband says, I've had enough. I'm leaving. I'm through with you. That could happen. It might be that one of your children would die in your mind prematurely that God would allow them to be taken away. Any of those things could happen to any of us at any time. Life is a struggle, and our strength, our strength is in the Lord. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. That wasn't just true of Paul. It's true of every single person that puts their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. Father, how we thank you this morning, Lord, for the assurance that we have from your word that even whenever we are in a struggle for survival, whenever it seems like that we're just dangling there somewhere between heaven and earth and there's no help to be found anywhere else and and we finally come to the end of our rope and realize that we can't even help ourselves, how grateful we are to know that you are our helper in our time of need, that you are an ever-present help. And so, Lord, help us to face the struggles of life, not with complaint and not with bitterness and, and not even with fear, but to know that in Jesus Christ we are more than conquerors. That we're on the winning side and that we don't have to go down in defeat. And I just pray this morning, whatever struggle each and every one's going through, whatever the nature of it is, I pray today that you'll show them that victory is possible. And they'll leave here claiming that victory and living their life with joy unspeakable and full of glory, because we beg it in Jesus' dear name. Amen. While we stand together,